Welcome to the VV Nation podcast, the podcast all about encouraging an active nation. It's Chris here and I'm on my own today, unfortunately Nick can't join us, but I've done an interview with a really special guest, someone who has done a Q&A on our website before and um, their story is remarkable to be honest. It's Tom Dunning, aka the Mental Health Runner, and he joins me to give an open and honest account of his battle with mental health. Um, and during that time, we'll discuss the critical role running has had on his recovery. So, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, at the end of the interview, I'll share some some links and resources so people can follow your journey. But let's hear the interview. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. And firstly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. No worries at all. So today we're going to be talking, well, exploring the link between exercise and mental health, a really important subject that we should all be talking about more to help destigmatize the topic. But I want to start at the very beginning of your journey and um, before you found a love for running and exercise, and then we'll talk a little bit about life after finding a love for running. So okay. when did your battles for, for mental health begin? Was there a trigger moment or was it something that you sort of saw coming, I guess? Uh, no, it was kind of almost overnight, really. Um, pretty much after I finished my um, degree, um, after I graduated, I pretty much started to hear things and see things. Um, first of all, it started off as hearing things. So it would be things of like when I was being bullied at school. So it was things like you're fat, you're ugly, um, your partner's better without you, you know, all those kind of really derogatory things. Um, and it wasn't like internal thought like what am i going to have for tea or what am i going to watch on tv later it was like we're talking now but there's no one around it was as if i was hearing this this these voices um and then pretty much uh as i didn't tell anyone it got worse so i then started to really start, start to see things um now the really the only two things that i saw was um i saw blood on my hands um and i still remember it to this day is that it it was it, yeah, it was there. It was like my hands were just covered in blood. Um, you know, I could feel it. I could smell it. It was, it was, it was real for me. Um, but my partner said, yeah, there's nothing there trying to get me out of it. Um, and then the, the worst one really for me was when um, these voices start to take control. So they'd tell me to like smash windows and kick doors in and things like that. Um, I'd run into different rooms. And in every room would be my brother who died um, about five, six years previous um, in the corner of every room, just staring at me and just watching while it all unfolded. Um, and that was kind of really the start of it. Um, I kind of saw help really, um, not that I was forced to, but my partner was with me throughout everything. She was, she's, she's an amazing woman, she really is. Um, and she was literally walking out the, the house with her bags packed. Uh, I got on both my knees, grabbed her by the hands. And I literally begged for her to stay. And being the amazing lady that she is, she turned to me, looked me dead in the eyes and said, I will, but you've got to get some help. And so the next day I saw my GP and within about five minutes, I was signed off as unfit for work. Um, so with that, I kind of got the help. And because I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer, I felt as if there was something broken in me um, with, this, the, with this diagnosis of depression. So it really made me feel like I have to get some help now. I know there's something wrong. I must fix this. Um, so I've opened up some friends, um, but unfortunately that kind of 
uh, all ended when they saw firsthand what really happens in my psychosis. Um, and then that led on to some cyberbullying. Um, I was then given some texts saying, you know, don't come back. We know you're faking it. Um, and that's probably the worst it's been because from that point on, I was ending up in A&E twice in one night, quite often, um, in the numerous ways of trying to take my own life because I really didn't want to be here. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much the, the, the worst, it, it, how bad it got. Um, but really before it turned the corner, it was when I met someone who, and they got the same diagnosis that I have. So I'm diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, uh, PTSD and social anxiety disorder. Now this person I spoke to, he was one of the people who helped build the, um, I think it's called the Burj Khalifa, the biggest building in, in the uh, world. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at that point I really thought, okay, well this, this is no longer going to be a hindrance to me because if this person's gone and done that, what can I do? Um, and then from there I did, I did a slight podcast with some friends um, and then my partner said, why don't you try running? Just give it a go. So pretty much from there, I completely by fluke and by accident, I found running and just fell in love with it. I mean, so obviously we've spoken off air and um, you've done a blog for our website as well. So I know that yeah. you've, you've come, you know, a really long way in your journey, but I'd love to know sort of when you say you fluked into running, the benefits of running are well documented, I think, particularly for, for mental health. But um, did you learn kind of instantly that it was going to be good for you and it was going to help? Or was it more of a, a slow progress where um, often, you know, the, hard, the hardest part of getting into running is, is starting, essentially? Yeah, it's, it's what I've always called the, the biggest, smallest step I've ever done. Mm. Um, and that was literally just putting a, it was just a cheap pair of trainers that I got um, and just went out for a run. And obviously in the time when I wasn't, um, I wasn't, didn't run. I was very unfit. I was about 23 stone. Um, it, I, at the time I hate myself. I thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> what really possessed me to go for a run? I'm not built for this, you know, all those kind of things. Um, but at the end I felt really good for it. Like really over the moon in myself of the achievement. It wasn't even a kilometer. It was just down the road and back, but I felt mm -hmm. really good in myself that I've achieved something from it, but also, it just really made me feel good. Um, and that really then made me feel like I need to see where this can take me. Um, and then that led me to my first event. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, it's a really important point that it doesn't have to always be, you know, 5k, 10k or any distance. Sometimes just anything is better than nothing essentially. Um, yeah, and, and you mentioned about um, mindset there. So how did you overcome the, the mental barriers to, well, an obstacle, obstacles, I guess, to, to running? Um, I think for, for me, um, because my, my, my now wife um, said, you know, I'll, I'll support you in it. Just, just try and give it a go. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And I kind of, I've learned to tell myself that if you don't try it, then you don't really know. And it's, it's like asking questions, you know, you don't ask, you don't get. Um, yeah. And it's very much a case of, I just thought, I've got nothing to lose. Let's just give it a go and see what happens. Um, yeah, it just, it became a really healthy obsession. Like just, I, I fell in love with it completely. <laughs> 
So you mentioned your first, your first race, but tell us, tell us a little bit about some of the experiences that you've had since. Um, yeah. So, um, I've been able to run pretty much every kind of category of distance. So five, 10, uh, half and a, and a marathon. Um, and it's been, in, it's just been incredible. Um, the amount of times when I've done like just a 5k, like a park run, for example, or I've done a 10k race or I've done a half marathon. I always feel like I win. Um, because, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I know I'm not going to beat Mo Farah in, in a million years. It's just not going to happen. Um, but when I'm on the start line, I've learned that the only person I really need to beat or to best is myself. Now, I don't run for times. I just run for the enjoyment. So as long as I can get to the end or at least put my best effort in that I know I can give and enjoy it, I always win. So all my medals I've got, you know, as, as you get every race, um, like they've all, they all are the first place medals for me because they all have a point in time which have helped build me to where I'm at now. Um, but really the, the, the best point of, I think there's two big, big points of running, which I love is the running community. Um, because everyone knows in that community that we all have to start from somewhere. Yeah. A, a lot of us, and in fact, probably all of us know that if you have done a runner or a jog, you are a runner. There's no strict, like, I can't think of the word, the, um, description as like if you are a runner or not yeah um everyone's a runner and everyone can use that to help them get happy and how it transforms their life and you know things like that um the second thing was uh, i've been incredibly fortunate to, to run london marathon last year um and one thing that i'll never forget is um running over tower bridge because I actually felt like I was an Olympian, like as a proper full-blown athlete, you know, <laughs> helicopters flying around, the yeah. people were all over the place and people were screaming your name and it was just incredible. And you get that at all the races that I've run in, at, like in all different parts of the UK, the support is incredible and everyone just wants everyone to succeed. Even like at London, when those people who, were cramping up towards the end or not in their best capacity. You know, people who I've never met before were running across the finish line with this person who's struggling over their shoulder, arm over their shoulders. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it, it's just an incredible place to be. And it just, it's an amazing community knowing that there's so many people, different levels of fitness, levels of where they want to be or goals, but we're all in it for the love of the sport. Yeah, I think so. I've done the Brighton Marathon once and um, it's kind of hard to put into words, actually, the experience yeah. of doing a marathon. But it's it's almost like an, an overwhelming sense of achievement that I've, I've almost never been able to replicate in any other form. Yeah, sort of like the, the pride you feel when you cross that finishing line, when you do something, obviously, like not not everything has to be the distance of a marathon. It could be yeah. 10K for, you know, whatever your goal is. But the sense of achievement, I think, is is unrivaled. And that is one of the best things, in my opinion, about exercise. And um, yeah, I wanted to ask you a bit more about the inclusive community, because I think one of the things that we try and promote all the time is that things like running and cycling are so accessible. They're so easy to get started. But 
some of the things I hear um, is that there's a perception that you need to have, you know, a really expensive pair of Nike running shoes or a really expensive bike or uh, from a cycling point of view, you know, dressed up in Lycra or you need to be able to run, you know, at least a sub 35k, which, you know, I'm, I'm also not a quick runner at all. So um, for me, one of the things I learned during lockdown was that you can just run for a love of running. You know, you don't always yeah. have to time yourself. And although things like Strava is great and uh, you know, your smartwatches and stuff like that, there is a danger of always, you know, trying to time yourself yeah. um, rather than just run for the sake of the benefits of health and stuff like that. But how important do you think a supportive and inclusive community is for not only encouraging exercise, but opening up conversations about things like mental health as well? Um, I think it, it should be paramount. It should come with it naturally. Um, the best way I would describe it is if I, if I was to break my arm or anyone to break their arm, it's been put into a cast people will always go oh can i draw on it can i sign it what did you do you know what happened um and you obviously can't do that with mental health because you, know, you can't wear like a cast on your head you know it's, it's not as simple as that um but it shouldn't be stigmatized you know you you can't have health overall health without mental and physical health to begin with yeah. um and i think that if you have a supportive culture um, um, and behaviours ingrained within within sport and any any community, um, stigma will just easily be thrown out the window. It, it it will. It's 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 one of those things which it's only stigmatised because we give it the stigma. It's something that we feel like we can't talk about, but we can. There's like I said, if if I broke my arm, I'd be saying, oh, you know, I I jumped off a building, or I I did it because I was rope swinging, or you know, it's really like adrenaline jump you know that kind of thing like i've jumped out of a plane and i parachute down by land from you know blow it out of proportion yeah. um but like with mental health i really feel like we should just talk and it's taking back the phrase of man up you know i, I absolutely hate it because for me if you are going to do this thing of manning up then you're going to talk about it you're just going to say look something's not right and can we just have a cup of tea or something like that and I think if we were to take back the phrase of manning up or man up to just go, look, something's not right. Let's go for a cup of coffee or let's just chat. Um, then straight away, stigma will just be, I'm not going to say it's going to go like that, but it'll get a lot better and a lot quicker. Um, but it's definitely something that should be um, in there, even with coaching, for example. So active conversations of, okay, maybe you didn't meet your target or you've got to lift this weight but are you okay? Are you stressing about it? Are you anxious about it? You know, it's, it should be something that we talk, talk about openly. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to, uh, well, I wanted to avoid the, the coronavirus word, but naturally yes. with everything that's going on, it's going to come <laughs> up. So, I mean, how did you find lockdown and, you know, the impact on mental health across the country? You, you referenced some really sort of dark aspects of society, you know, cyber bullying and the pressures of social media and stuff like that. So, yeah, how, how did you find lockdown and what what's your perception on the impact that lockdown is going to have on, and has had on, on mental health in general across the country? Um, well, it hasn't really affected me um, as much as I thought it would. And the only reason I say that is because of what I went through and being off work for about a year with my mental health, 
um, and my own anxiety where I didn't want to leave the house before I started to, to, to run and get the support I needed. Um, I really struggled um, to, well, I said get out of the house, but I learned that I knew what I needed to do. So I kind of learned already how to cope in a lockdown situation because I kind of forced it upon myself anyway. Mm. Um, and because of that and what I knew and what I learned about that was to try and I, I wanted to help people get active. So I'm not like Joe Wicks, for example. I know I'm never going to do things like that, but you know, I, I ran a marathon in my yard and I live streamed it. I did That's three pretty incredible, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> for, for seven hours. It, it got painful towards the yeah. end, just running backwards <laughs> and forwards. Um, and then I did the three peach challenge on my stairs. So I did, I calculated how many steps I had to run up and down um, to do Ben Nevis, Garfell Pike and Mount Snowden. I mean, also um, pretty incredible. Having done the actual <laughs> three peach challenge, I know how much that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the, the wife wasn't impressed when I took out five steps and we've had to recarpet. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I kind of wanted to do was help people know that, okay, if we're locked down and we can't leave our, like our houses or our yards or whatever, then we can still get active and be healthy in that respect. Um, so that was my focus really was I kind of wanted to help people with the knowledge that i've got from when i did it myself years ago mm. so how it can help now um i do think coming out of lockdown um mental health may be a big issue because um not that it's an underfunded service but because it's just the amount of people who now will speak out about mental health um mainly about health anxiety you know if if this vaccine does does happen and it does work and we no longer have to wear face masks, we don't have to keep two meters away from each other. Um, there's going to be so much health anxiety around because of it. Um, unfortunately, I think that's going to be a big thing at the, at, at the back end. Um, but I do feel as if people will talk more because we've kind of been forced to talk more, um, mm. whether it be over the phone, over things like this, um, I think it's kind of made people realize, okay, I can talk. Um, even if it's just to family, um, they, they can talk. And that's what, when I've asked other friends and other people, they've said the exactly same thing was they now feel they could open up because they've almost had to in a way. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything positive that's going to come out of this situation, I guess that would be it. Um, how, how do you feel about social media now? Do, do you see it as, as a, positive thing or in your eyes would it be a negative thing <laughs> um i think uh, social media i think used correctly is a brilliant thing um because it helps people get connected and stay connected and talk like like for example i couldn't imagine what lockdown would have been say back in the days of msn and <laughs> yeah. and myspace you know it, it would be connection com- yeah <laughs> exactly yeah yeah and you know can't go on the can't go on the internet if you want to make a phone call or, you know, after six o'clock, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'd be a completely different thing, but because we've now got these things of like, you know, broadband and webcams on near enough everything. And even like, if you don't have that, you can still talk over the internet. Um, I feel that it's, it's a good thing. It's just the, the people who want to use it in a negative way. Mm. Um, 
so I, I feel it's it's both a good and bad thing really it's, it's just dependent on what you do with it and how you approach a subject or if you even want to know what they think um you know if there's someone who you don't agree with you know for, for me i'm i'm quite militant like that so if there's something that i don't really agree with rather than just lashing out of it i just don't follow it i don't look mm. at it i just go no i'm not interested um and I, I, it's, it's just a place where people can get support if they need it and there's so many things out there you know on facebook you know, i'm part of many groups on facebook um but when it comes to things like the cyberbullying like i've had and um, when, so, when i had social media accounts made in my name um that's when it, you know that's when it really gets horrific because you can't escape it it's then following you outside of that place if that makes sense so like you're not getting bullied um in person but it's now following you when you can't escape it yeah that they're the stories that you always kind of dread reading about aren't they but yeah since that happened do you think that social media companies and just the general public have improved the way that they handle social media particularly the negative side of things i think so yeah i think lockdown again is is um although it's been a fairly negative experience as you can imagine mm. um i think it's been positive in that way because it's not like we've been forced to be kind to each other but i think everyone's now on that level peg of we're now having to stay in well not anymore but we had to stay indoors yeah um and we had to stay isolated and we couldn't see family or friends i think it's forced people really not to, to, to kind of be kind um to each other because in the day they i'm sure those people don't want to be in a bad place in their own home um mm-hmm. So everyone's kind of got their own little groups. You know, I met, I've met a lot of people. I'm in a great group now that I knew no one. I knew none of them. It was a pure fluke that we did a quiz one night and, you know, we were really <laughs> close mates now. Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think it's, it's definitely something which is, it's a good thing, I think, personally. Okay. So your book, um, I want to yes. talk about that a little bit. Surviving the War Against Yourself, which is available on Amazon. Um, yes. is a really open and honest account of your story, but not only from your point of view, but um, she's come up already a few times on this conversation, but your wife, Amber's. So what made you write the book and what response have you had since? Um, yes. Yeah, so the, the reason I wanted to write a book was because I had the blog going on on my website and I've, I've been really fortunate to do a TED talk myself on my own story. Um, and I think because that had such a great feedback and people started to talk to me openly about what they went through, I wanted to kind of, it's not like an expose, but I wanted to basically say, this is exactly what happened um, at what point and what I went through and how I did things and how I got to where I'm at now. Um, and half, well, when I wrote all my, my part of it, it kind of really hit me that, you know, it's not really just my story. It's also my wife's because she was been, like I said, she's an incredible, incredible lady that she's, she's been with me throughout the whole thing. Um, she's seen some horrific things. I've, I've screamed horrific things at her in my psychosis. Um, and I know I'd have struggled to stay around, but I've always thought that because it's, she's been there and she's been directly affected, she needs to be heard as well. It's because it's such a sensational topic. People want to hear about the whole mental health side but never the carers. So I wanted to mm. not give a platform. I wanted, I wanted the carer side to be heard as well. So 
the idea is anyone can read the book and identify when Amber comes into the story that she has chapters after mine, that they can identify that maybe they're, they are like me, so they need to get help before it gets too late, or possibly, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm in the position of Amber at the moment, I'm going through this as well. Maybe I need to get my partner or friend or whoever some help. Um, and it's, it's basically just like, it's like a conversation we're having now is just to say, look, this is very descriptive of exactly what happened and what we went through. And it's not just us. We're just one story out of however million people there are in the UK. Yeah. Um, and it was just something that we really wanted to, to do. It was, it was almost like therapy. In, in a really yeah, I was, was going to ask that. How did you find the writing process? Because quite often people always say that writing things down is, as you say, like therapy is healing. So how did you find that writing process? Because, I mean, you must have had to revisit some really dark times as well. Yeah, so f- for me, it's not that bad because I talk about what I went through already quite a lot on my blog um, because it's made me who I am today. Mm. Um, the hardest part of writing this, I've always said this to people when they've asked the question, is the hardest part of me doing the book was reading Amber's side. Mm. Um, obviously, I knew what she went through because obviously I was there. But it was more the fact of seeing it and reading it explicitly in detail what she went through. Um, it, it hurt. It, it really did because I knew I put her through that. But it was eye-opening to then know that exactly like how she felt. Mm. Um, it, not that it was like a, like a marriage counselling thing, but it was, it was counselling in the fact that I could fully understand where she was coming from. Mm. Um, because it's just something that we didn't really not over choice. We didn't really talk about it. It was just something that's happened. Um, but when she read my parts and proofread it and I proofread her parts, it was just eye-opening the fact of what not just what Amber did, but what other people as carers would be doing as well. Um, mm. And kind of helped drive the book, like going, right, come on, we need, to, <laughs> we need to get this out there because this is something which, even if it helps one person, then that's that that's that's amazing really that's that was our goal yeah no absolutely and so taking all of your experiences into account and knowing what you now know how would you now define well-being and what is a healthy lifestyle to you um so well-being for me is (laughs) being well in yourself and that's a really bad answer (laughs) (laughs) um I think well-being for me is fully understanding where you are and understanding what makes you tick. So I, I learned while I was journaling through when I was starting to have psychosis and psychotic episodes and my depression was understanding my triggers. Um, and that well-being is knowing where you are and understanding what will cause you emotional distress, what may cause you even physical harm. Um, but also being active and, and eating. I'm not going to say eating like the best things on the planet, but just understanding, you know, you're eating a balanced diet. You know, you yeah. don't have to be on these crash diet things. As long as you're doing what you enjoy, you're being safe. Um, and you're listening to yourself as well. You're loving yourself for what you're doing. You're not doing it because of like, for example, someone who's got 3 million followers on Instagram is doing this. So I must do it. Yeah. It's well-being as a place of how you are and how you define it as 
what makes you happy and what keeps you well. Yeah, and I, th- I think um, it's a really important message as well to, as you say, to, to take everything into account. So your diet a little bit, um, eat a balanced diet and all that. And you mentioned earlier as well about mindset, which is which is really important. But um, so if, to end, oh, we always like to end with some actionable advice for anyone who is going through the same sort of thing that, that you have gone through. What advice would you give yourself if you could now? Like back, um, back then? Yeah, if, if I could go back and tell my previous self, um, the, the biggest thing for me is knowing that if, if you have any mental illness, so like you go through one second, minute, hour, day, whatever, whatever time scale with a problem with your mental health, you are no longer a sufferer. So in that one second of feeling very low or having these ideations and these intrusive thoughts, if you go through that first second, you've already proven that you're not a sufferer, but you're actually a survivor. You've survived that, that moment in time. But what I'd like to say is it's, you're no longer a sufferer, but you're a thriver because you've survived it and you're now thriving because of it. You're now thriving where you're at and you're learning about yourself. Um, so yeah, I would say if I could go back is to tell my younger self that, you know, it's really bad now. And I get that it, it's, I understand where you are because I've been there, but I don't know what you're going through because everyone's journey is independent of whoever you are, but just know that, you know, one minute hour, day, week, whatever with a mental illness, you're now a thriver. You're, it's not, you're not in a bad place. You, mm. you're, in a, you're in a place where you are hurting and you will get through it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so just to finish as well, obviously events and, and all that sort of stuff has, has been cancelled uh, throughout the year now. But what plans do you have for the next year in terms of running and, and exercise? Um, so for me, it's just doing events when they come, when they come up um <laughs> i've got my running group which which is which is great when we kind of talk about mental health um and also go for a run so that's the two things that really help me yeah um but a nice little group at local to us um but the biggest thing really is over next year which is it starts on the 31st of may and ends on the 16th of june um which is going to be the Pennine, what I'm going to call the Pennine run. So I'm running the Pennine way in its entirety um, while wild camping at the same time. And I've, wow. <laughs> I'm following my father's footsteps. We did it in 1984. Um, and because he's from Lancashire and Rochdale, um, sorry, Rochdale and Lancashire, um, I've grown up going over the M62 and seeing the Lancashire Dales and hearing the stories. And as he's a survival expert from the RAF, he's, he's now retired. Um, I've always said, I'm going to go do that as well. And yeah. this year I've just gone, you know what? Let's just do it. <laughs> um, so next year is my 30th birthday. So I'm going to, if it all goes to plan, I'm going to end on the 30th birthday um, and then complete, yeah, the, the, the oldest national trail in, in the UK. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Like I say, it's been all these years where I've said, I'm going to do it one day, one day, one day. Um, and I was, I was in bed with, the, with, with, with Amber and I just turned to her and said, look, do you mind if I run the Pan Am Way next year? 
She went, casually dropped the question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she just went, yeah, yeah, of course. When, when is it? What day is it? I said, it's, it's going to be days if that's all right. She went, yeah, it's fine. So we're, we're looking more like just over two weeks. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's, that's fine. I know it's something you're interested in. And yeah, she, she's been really supportive with it. So yeah, that's, that's next year. That's my biggest thing. It'll be the first day of the event is a 28-mile run. Uh, to the first campsite so wow it's yeah. technically also my first ultra as well so it's <laughs> there you go yeah conquering yeah. conquering everything in one go <laughs> that's it <laughs> well, that sounds like a an incredible experience and uh one hell of achievement when when you get there as well that's it yeah Definitely. but yeah tom thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your incredibly inspiring story I, I think um everyone listening will agree with me that it's just amazing to hear these sorts of stories where you just hear someone share their journey and you're just like, that is amazing. That person's not done some really incredible stuff. So thank you for coming on. And, and for anyone who wants to follow your journey, where can they find you? Um, yes, yeah, so they can um, follow me on my Instagram, um, which is at mental underscore health underscore runner um, or my website, mentalhealthrunner.co.uk. And that's like my, my paper blog, if that makes sense, my internet blog. Perfect. Well, Tom, thanks very much and uh, keep in touch. Yeah, thank you very much. You've been listening to the VV Nation podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate it, share it and subscribe and please stay fit and active. And you can follow us on our social channels on Twitter at VV Nation Fit, Facebook at VV Nation and Instagram at VV underscore Nation. Also check out our website vvnation.co.uk for all of our podcast episodes and don't be afraid to send us a message and get in touch. Thank you.